Well, good afternoon from Jolly Rogers Sailing Club, where pirates come to play. And today, we have a special show. We have who was the first female Commodore at Jolly Roger and um, um, Mr. Commodore. No, what do you call what do you call the husband of a Commodore? Past Commodore. First gentleman. Past Commodore. Well, yeah, okay. So we Commodore. have a past Commodore and well, two past Commodores and the Commodore. Man, I am among royalty right now. <laughs> so why doesn't everybody introduce themselves and uh, we'll go from there. You can go last, Phil. Okay. <laughs> Janelle Wasilowski, and I'm the media past commenter of Jolly Rogers Sailing Club. Hank Wasilowski, and uh, uh, I was a two-time uh, past commodore in 2016 and 2017 of Jolly Roger. And I'm Phil Fry. I'm the current commodore of Jolly Roger Sailing Club for 2023. You can't imagine how long it took to get this many important people in the same room <laughs> at the same time, get their schedules all synced up. But Jan and Hank... You guys have been around the club a while. Tell us how long have you been here at this club, and how did you find Jolly? Well, it was kind of serendipitous. Um, we were actually sailing, trying to sail, go out in uh, Cooley Canal out at uh, Menkees Marina, and I lost the main halyard up the mast. And um, so we turned around, we came back, and we happened to see um, Betty Man Warren up at the top of her mast in a bosun's chair. So we pulled into the slip and uh, walked over there and said, hey, you know, we're fairly new at sailing. I lost the halyard up the mast. What do we do? And Betty said, oh, just give me a minute from the top of the mast and I'll be down. We can get that in a heartbeat. And so she came over, went up to the top of our mast, got our halyard, brought it down, and then proceeded to tell us about Jolly Roger and how we should join Jolly Roger, and we did. And it was one of the best things we ever do. That was about 26 years ago, and it, it's been a pleasure to be at the club. It's been a pleasure to serve the club. and. It was a wealth of experience and help from the members of the club for new sailors back in the day. Did you cover everything, Hank? Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I just have a different recollection of it. Well, go ahead. Okay. Give us your recollection. She told you to get up the mast? <laughs> no. No, okay. No. I, I, I had nothing to do with that. Really. What was your different recollection? Well, my recollection was back about 35 or 40 years ago, I was looking around was interested in getting involved in sailing and i happened to see an article in a newspaper about jolly roger okay, and that okay. sort of kept in my mind uh -huh. uh, and then later on in 1998 uh, we decided to get a boat and uh, it was with that and through a member we bought the boat our first boat from um, a, then a current member and he helped us uh, learn to sail it a little bit, and uh, it, it was actually his father's boat. His father had passed away, and we, uh, and he uh, helped us with making the deal in, with his mom, who actually was then the owner of the boat. So that was uh, how we got my recollection of how we got started. And then later on is when we moved to uh, uh, about two years later. We moved to. Uh, 
Menkes and in that area, and uh, that we encountered Betty and when we had. I think that's an issue. awesome that she went up the mast. <laughs> oh yeah, and and and, and uh, I'm thinking if I lose my halyard, I'd know who to call. <laughs> Be- Betty told me what did she t- what did she tell us? She was 85 now or 87. 87. Yeah, yeah. And uh, any of you who've listened to any of the past podcasts probably heard Betty. Betty is an amazing storyteller and just 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 a wonderful person. So what would you say, since you were the past Commodore, two past Commodores and the current Commodore, what is the strength of our club? Why would somebody want to come here and join us? Any of you can answer that. I think it's just the camaraderie of the club. Um, I found when we came to the club that it was very welcoming. People wanted us to be sailors. They wanted to help us to be sailors. They wanted to teach us about sailing. And they were just very, very welcoming. Um, we never, I never felt like an outsider. Um, people came up to me and talked to me, welcomed me, you know, and I never felt like um, I was stupid because I wasn't a sailor in the beginning. You know, they wanted me to learn. They wanted me to be able to enjoy the sport. So it, it, it was very pleasurable and very helpful for me. What do you think, Hank? Well, I think, uh, and it and probably goes back to the reason I joined it, wanted to join it, was because uh, I was changing over from being a power boater. I've been a power boater ever since I was three years old. Okay. And um, uh, now we're getting into sailing, and I wanted to have uh, some people I could talk to and and ask them questions, pick their brains, uh, so to speak, uh, about sailing, sailing technique, and stuff like that. And uh, basically that type of camaraderie is what I was looking for. And I think it still exists. I think you're right. It does still exist. And one of the things that I am very pleased with, because at the time... I was Commodore, we were at somewhat of a high. I don't know what the highs were prior to that. I wasn't watching that carefully, how many people that we had, but we had about 150 when I was Commodore, and we went downhill for a few years, and now since COVID, we have come back up, and we've now exceeded the the number of people that uh, we had when I was Commodore. So that pleases me that we've got people who are interested and I'm also pleased that uh, uh, they've also looked toward me to a, a certain degree to help them learn to sail and, and things like that through the learn, adult learn to sail class and, and just through people asking me questions about certain things and, uh, and so, so forth. I do think that's the, one of the big strengths is when you come here, um, people will go with you, not make you feel like you're an idiot. I know Jan and Hank both were on my boat with me uh, a number of times I used to be scared of Hank the first couple of times I wasn't sure I was like I told my wife I said I don't think that guy likes me and anyways um but <laughs> I learned a lot from both of them um but they didn't make you feel like you're an idiot they just explained things and because let's face it if you've never sailed you don't know how to sail somebody has to show you and it's like any other skill um you know I'm at the point now where I can make my boat go 
but now I need to learn how to sail it. And I think make learn to make it go is the first step. And then you need to watch people and they do different things. And, and there are a ton of people here. If you want to come out here on a Thursday night, you can get on the boat with somebody and they will take you on Thursday night races. You want to go on a Wednesday night, Phil's always willing to take you on his boat. So there's no shortage of people that are willing to teach you how to sail. Um, you just, just have to say, hey, I'm interested. And you don't have to own a boat. No. We have people here who do not own a boat, don't want to own a boat. Their wives won't let them own a boat. I can't mention <laughs> anybody, but um, I shouldn't say their name, so I won't. But, um, but some people just, just don't want to own a boat. And, uh, and some people come here and never want to go on a boat. They just want to be social because the group we have here is, is very social. And we're starting to get a really uh, large diversity of ages you know, sometimes you think of a boat club and everybody's 80 plus, and that's just not like it is here. And the younger people get along with our older members. So we don't even have that, um, you know, where all the old people sit together, all the young people sit together. That's just not, that's just not who we are. So, um, uh, yeah, it's a great club. Now, one of the reasons I want to talk to you today is I wanted to know about your trip to the British Virgin Islands. First of all, where the heck is the British Virgin Islands? Well, you can Bur get in on this. You've been there too, Phil, before. So no, I haven't. No, no. Oh, well, that's right. Been. You couldn't go. You yeah, were COVID, COVID suspended, right? COVID shut us down. Yeah. All right. British Virgin Islands are due east of the American British Virgin Islands, well, which is up. which is about ninety miles due east of uh, Puerto Rico. Ooh, okay. So if you get an idea of where. Puerto Rico is, then you've got an idea where all the Virgin Islands are. Uh, the uh, borders uh, of both run between some of the islands, so you have to be careful if you have are sailing in the British Virgin Islands that if you're going to the American Virgin Islands, and hopefully not by accident but by intention, that you check out, you have to check out with customs and immigration when you leave the Virgin Islands. Unlike the U.S., you just go someplace but uh with uh, british virgin islands you have to check out and then you have to check into the u.s and when you come back you have to check back in again to the british virgin islands so that's all important in terms of the legal uh, so getting lost is not a good idea no okay. no it's not it's not you can't just pull in somewheres and ask directions like they say i don't like captain ron <laughs> no no it's not it doesn't work quite that okay. way you, you have to be going somewhere intentionally and at the rate you go with uh with a sailboat um you know you're five ten miles an hour at, at at the at best most of the time uh it's very hard to not know that you're not going to where you want to go and uh, the best thing is to have navigation charts and uh, that's how i grew up and that was before the time of uh, gps units uh, the gps's have just all but helped uh, my ability to uh, navigate and know where i'm at at any particular time but i'm used to the old system of having a chart being able to look it over and see where the reefs are where the lights are and be able to set my courses uh, manually by running a parallel rule up and down the uh, from the compass rows and determine what course direction i was to take to get to where i wanted to go do you think gps has made us lazy Oh, oh, yes, it has. It has. Yeah, I, I think the the good thing about GPS is it, is it gives you a track and it, it's electronic. That's real nice. But it doesn't show you the reefs. It doesn't show you 
um, the subtleties of what a, a, a navigational chart would, and it doesn't give you the overall picture. In a navigational chart, most of them you get a big picture of where you're going and in what's on the way where a GPS is giving you a more finite picture. Okay. I usually carry a chart and sometimes I can actually put it right side up, but I don't know, it's just yeah. sometimes you're like, what direction am I going? And <laughs> But I agree with you, at least you can see. What I always said, people said, well, what about, do you have a depth finder? I said, my opinion is once you, that thing hits, it's too late. Yeah. And I said, it's good to know what depth you're at, but if you don't have an idea from your chart, like, should I even be going over by there? You know, I mean, by the time you get there, you're too, late. and then too. when you're in the ocean, of course, then you're like, okay, are we at high tide, low tide, and what? Man, I tell you what, I don't, I don't understand all that. I just had to figure. Well, it says 200 feet, and even at low tide, I probably have enough water. So this previous uh -huh. section se section brought to you by the Garmin GPS company. Oh, that's right. We might get some money sponsorship for this. <laughs> I was trying to get a sponsorship from DXL. You know those that large clothing place. You, know, you go in there, everything's so expensive. But I always okay. wondered. I, well, I, I will oh. say GPS does have what's nice, especially for me. It gives you an ETA when you put in. A, I like that. Yeah, that is that's nice. That's especially helpful. Yeah, uh, it, it takes quite a bit to calculate that and to do all that stuff, and a lot of people don't care to do that. Uh, most of them prefer to uh, get on their boat, start sailing or, or motoring, whatever they're doing, and just sit back and open a beer, and that's it. Uh, I don't, I don't. That's not my type of uh, boating. I like to be able to know what I'm doing. I like to enjoy the whole thing. And in fact, we have a rule on our boat: we don't open the beer cans while we're sailing. One of the reasons is safety. Um, we don't want to, if an emergency should crop up and they emergencies crop up unexpectedly, whether it be a weather thing or running aground like you're talking about, or uh, just someone happened to fall off a boat. Uh, these emergencies can happen. And uh, the least you think about it, the more likely it's, it, it could happen to you. So you have to be uh, quite sober in order to help rescue someone and uh, to be effective in, in uh, locating them and, and things like that. And uh, the previous session uh, this afternoon was talking about the Mills race, and uh, that's sailing at night. And uh, uh, if someone falls overboard at nighttime, it's going to be all the more difficult to uh, locate them uh, in the murky waters at the time, unless they are wearing a, a light, light uh, that designates where they're at. But anyway... Um, uh that's the way i like to like to sail and or boat is being knowledgeable about what i'm doing and get from one point to another get back safely with all hands on board i can't imagine coming back into a port with one or more or less than the number of people that i would left be catastrophic. with it, no, would, I, it would be I, I, it'd I be don't devastating think I could ever sail again or no. something like that happened but so anyway, but anyway, uh, we did have a situation um, one one year. In fact, it was very early in our sailing life. We were moving our boat. We hadn't done a lot of sailing to the islands yet. Uh, we'd gone once, I think, maybe. And um, but uh, our first year of sailing, we uh, kept our boat at Lost Peninsula Marina. So it was fairly easy for us to go in and out, except we'd run aground every now and then because there's mud humps out there. 
we decided on the recommendation of uh, uh, the Rick Commodore Huff. at the time, yeah, Rick Huff, who, uh, bless his soul, is uh, no longer with us. But uh, uh, he introduced us to Mankey's Marina, and uh, we decided to try it one time, and we did, and we decided at that time we're going to make the move over to there because there's there are virtually no obstructions once you get outside of the uh, right. The riprap right. past the entrance to the marina. There's here in free waters. It's deep enough to sail most of the places yeah. you want to go. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, we're uh, so this was our first time doing that, and it was late in the fall, and it was quite foggy out and rainy, uh, a drizzle mist type thing. You couldn't see once we got past the uh, harbor light. Uh, we couldn't see the light. We couldn't see. Uh, uh, the uh, Toledo water intake, which has been a major landmark for us to get where we're going mm -hmm. visually. And we, we couldn't see land. We were out there. And at that time, we were relocating our boat for the first time down to Mankey's Marina. And we we're following our GPS. And that was just great. And all of a sudden, the GPS went blank. And I thought, well, it's probably Ooh. batteries. I told uh, Jan that uh, I'm going to go below and I'll get some batteries and we'll be all set. I went below and lo and behold, we didn't have any more batteries. We had used them up. And at this time, this, this GPS took eight double uh, A batteries. And so we didn't have a battery aboard. So we ended up doing uh, the, the uh, old style navigation. We just decided we'll just keep on going direction we're going in because we were headed toward uh, deeper water. Uh, Mankeys in deeper water, and we were going to look for the water intake. We couldn't miss that, and because uh, Mankeys Marina and uh, the uh, Cooley Canal that we were headed for are just a couple miles to to the south of where the water intake was. So we did do that, and eventually, uh, uh, lo and behold, the water intake came up out of the mist, and it looks like a big ship coming at you, but. But there it was, and we said, okay, now it's time to turn south, and we did that, and sure enough, we came into the inlet uh, to Cooley Canal, and the rest was history. We got in safely and, and all that, but um, I used to teach safety courses, and they used to say, don't rely entirely on the uh, new digital Devices always have a map I agree uh, with you. in hand. A we chart, talked about that earlier. A chart in hand. This and section so, of the podcast brought to you by the Duracell Corporation. <laughs> <laughs> what if you prefer Energizer, though? Well, we'll get them on board. We'll get too. them on board too. So, so that's uh, how I feel about instrumentation. There, so I, I think I, having maps, or charts, basically they're called charts in the. Uh, yeah. nautical world and uh, having them on board is a thing to have and I like that I can look at the get the broad picture I have a chart that shows me the western end of Lake Erie everywhere I sail in Lake Erie mm -hmm. and I can see relationships very easily and understand when it says I should go a certain direction that oh I'm going northeast that's I'm, that's going to take me to Canada and I know you know where I'm going to go because I can see the broad picture with the uh, GPS I have a small screen and unless I can blow it out and uh, then it's hard to see details when you start blowing it out and, and stuff and yeah. uh, uh, to see more de the wider 
picture. Yeah. But uh, so I, I do like to have charts regardless. Good. And and since they're doing that. away with charts, I have some old charts which are going to be endeared, and we'll always have them on board and won't throw them out. I usually when I go someplace like I went out sailed with my daughter in San Diego. I even bought a chart for the bay out there um, just because I wanted to have an idea, you know, where things were. But you bring up the point about navigation, you know, I mean, especially with the fog, you know, our eyes deceive us. You know, we think we're going west or south, and next thing you know, you know, we're headed in a different direction. Well, that's uh, very important when you're sailing at night because your perspective changes. Uh, We used to do a lot of night sailing in our younger days, in our first early years of sailing. We we would go out two, three times a night, a week rather, uh, uh, sailing and avoid the weekends because there are too many crazy boaters out there. That's true. Uh, So, yeah, as we came in, we would... uh, get near where we could see the lights the entrance to cooley canal and uh, uh where we th- felt we were close enough we'd take down our sails and uh and then motor in uh lo and behold i started looking down at my gps after we did this several times and found that normally we would head to within about a half a mile of of the canal entrance to take our sails down that was seemed safe and everything in the daytime at nighttime, I looked down at my GPS, and just based on my eyeball judgment, we were a mile and a half away from uh, the entrance. Mm-hmm. So there, our perception, depth perception, had really changed during mm-hmm. the night. And uh, so the having the instrument available was able to bring us in closer, and we wouldn't have to start the engine as soon and motor as long um, there. As a result, we only fill our tank once a year. Yeah, that's a pride thing, I know. <laughs> hey, now, we were talking about the BVI. Tell us yes. about how hard is it to rent a boat when you go somewhere else? Tell me how that process works. I've gone through it, and it was um, a little more involved than I thought it would be. Okay. Uh, well, I'll tell you. The first time we went was uh, at the uh, invitation of uh, Dave Sullivan. He was the one that we bought our first boat from. And uh, a couple of years after we had the boat, he said, I'm going to BVI. Would you like to come? And I believe what he did, he, he chartered the, the boat for a month. And he, he sold off to friends uh, uh, 10 days at a time. So he had three groups and he stayed down there for a month with and uh, and sailed this boat that he chartered and had various people come down well fortunately we went on the first 10 days with him and it was kind of a shakedown because he hadn't been out there in quite a while if ever and i enjoyed myself because i was a navigator i was reading the charts and things like that and comparing them to gps as we went and we were the only four people aboard he and his girlfriend and uh, and us and we had two empty cabins as well so the boat was real roomy and, and things like that and that was our invitation our introduction to the bvi so we learned something about it since then i've been down about five or six times and um i feel i know the islands down there i can tell you where certain danger spots are most many t- many of the times things that I have frequented or, or known about in navigating where I'm, I've been going out there. But I know it almost as well as I know the islands uh, here in, uh, in Lake Erie. So I, I know my way I know around. I know the major islands. 
do they give you a hard time when you're rent a boat? Like, what do you need to yes. go through? So I use that as my experience when we were first running from uh, a charter company. The charter company that we had been with initially uh, went out of business. So we ended up looking for someone else and we found Conk Charters. And we use our sailing resume. And the fact uh, that I have been a boater uh, for over 50 years is a power boater. Uh, and uh, been sailing for uh, you know five years or so, and had been down to BVI helped me in my uh, being able to charter a boat. And every year I presented them my sailing resume. Now a lot of people now I believe uh, moorings and some of the other bigger commercial companies require you to take an offshore course and, and have passed something of, of that nature. So a lot of people today need to uh, do that in order to uh, sail a boat down there. The other thing that was good is that I had a bigger boat of my own, a 30-foot boat. They would like you to rent a boat within 10 feet of the size of the boat that you currently own. And that way, the transition is not greater. If you owned a 25-foot boat and wanted to rent a 50-foot boat, I think they would frown upon it. Uh, but uh, uh, in our case, I owned a 30-foot, and I moved up. Uh, we we chartered a 42-foot with, with a bunch of folks, and then another one in the 40s. Uh, and we kind of got started that way, and ultimately we've we have charged 50 foot uh, monohulls, and and our last was supposed to be a 50 foot catamaran uh, with them, but the COVID stopped us from doing that. But anyway, every time I go down there, I add them to my resume as I chartered a boat from there, and it, it's fairly easy for me with Conk because I I have experience and they know who I am and things like that, and I don't have any problems. Uh, and I don't have beginner problems. I don't run aground. I don't have trouble getting into a dock or, or things like that. Um, but if, if you've taken some course, I believe that they, they will look on it as you have some experience and you're serious about, about sailing. And I think that's, that's what they want you to do. I know one thing you told me one time, and I thought you were kind of kidding. You said if they were being resistant, say, oh, I just sail on Lake Erie. And then they, they say, oh, if you can sail on the Great Lakes... That's no joke. <laughs> we've had yeah, several people. We, we've had several people. I mean, we, we've been um, a number of places in the world where we've met up with sailors. And when they say, where do you sail? And we say Lake Erie, they'll say, we would never go there. You know, and, and it all has to do with Lake Erie is um, small, shallow in places and that the weather comes so fast in Lake Erie. And the waves are so close together. Yes, yeah, the Lake Erie Chop. Exactly. Um, and it, so the, the around the many places in the world, if you say you're a Lake Erie sailor, it holds a lot of weight. Um, you know, they look at you and they respect that, that you're sailing in very difficult conditions, you yeah. know, and managing it. I thought you were kind of kidding me, but when I was out in San Diego, and I, and I rented a boat, and I was walking down the dock, and some lady said, so where do you normally sail? And I told her, she goes, oh, that was that was her answer. I was like, you know, but it's all I knew, but, <laughs> yeah. but, it, but it was a lot different. Now, well, when you're in the BVI, mm -hmm. and you go from, now how many islands are there in the British Virgin well, Islands? I mean, about, I'm not Overall, kidding. there's over 60 islands really? in, the, in the BVI. They, they uh, range from four major ones that are, 
the four major ones are all populated. Uh, uh, Tortola, Yost um, uh, Van Dyke, uh, Virgin Gorda, and Anagata. Um, and those are big ones to go there. from one to one to the one to the other, and then there's a lot of smaller ones like the dogs, and there's there's no life on those. Those are just basically rocks and popping out of the water, and but there are good places. Uh, the uh, parks uh, department of uh, the British Virgin Islands has installed mooring balls there, so you can go up and tie up for an afternoon and go snorkeling and and. and that kind of stuff, and then move on when you're done. You can't overnight on that on those particular balls, so they're designed just for for uh, uh, temporary uh, use. But uh, so that most of the time we go on mooring balls because uh, it's also very expensive to take a, a dock, and uh, occasionally if we want to go to a place like uh, Spanish, uh, Spanish, Town. Spanish Town, we'll have to take a dock because that's within a protective. Uh, uh, cove, um, and uh, there, there's no place that you can anchor there. It's it's fairly small. How much would a dock be there? Uh, at this point, I don't know. I don't remember. But uh, um, they're really they were they were more expensive. They were probably three dollars or so a foot. Um, but uh, we're also renting a larger boat than what we normally have. We're probably in a closer to the 50-foot boat than, than our own 36-foot boat. And uh, so it, it gets rather expensive if you want to do that. And if you're with a catamaran, I'm not sure whether they'll charge you double because of the space that you're taking up, uh, you can't put another boat next to you. I heard a lot of docks do so, that with a catamaran. Yeah, they, they might do that. I, I, I don't know. I uh, One time we went with a catamaran, uh, we... Uh, we, didn't we never went in. We were never docked. We we were always on the ball, and you you're on the ball, and uh, uh, you use your dinghy to go back and forth to shore to dock. There's a dinghy dock usually, and things like that. So, um, do you normally you cook on your boat, or do you go in and eat, or how does that work? It's about fifty fifty. When we've gone, we usually have breakfast on board, um, sometimes a lunch because we might be sailing as lunches, um, for lunches. And then dinner is maybe 50-50, you okay. know. We, we buy, we usually start out and we buy food for two or three dinners. And then um, as we go along, decide whether we go to, we've had times where we buy food for dinners and we ended up using them for lunch because we were there was some nice restaurant or some place yeah. that we wanted to go out to. So it's really kind of a, a freestyle thing. You want enough food so when you're out in the water and you get hungry, you can eat, but you don't want to have so much food that you don't eat at all. What's your favorite island in the British Virgin Islands to go to? And tell me why. Limerick Bay. Um, That's the Virgin Gorda. Yeah. And it, it, it's um, got a nice little town that you can walk around in. It has a bar that's right on the water, so you can go and have a couple of drinks and eat. And then it has a beach there where you can swim. Plus, it has a, a very nice snorkeling area, and it has um, additional snorkeling areas within dinghy distance of motoring out to and going. So it's just got a whole lot of things at it, and it, it's very nice. But I think my 
favorite thing about the BVI is that um, the winds are always blowing and you can always sail. It's just beautiful, beautiful sailing. And, and the water in the Caribbean is this just beautiful azure blue when you go out there. And um, Hank, Hank and I always sail just about every day unless we decide we're going to um, dock overnight at the same place, go to stay two nights there. And I can remember this one time we were sailing out in the BVI, and it was a little stormy, which is very unusual for there. And we were sailing, and nobody else was sailing, and the couple, couple couples that were with us weren't real experienced sailors. They said, we're sailing. And I said, yes, we are. And they go, nobody else is. No, they aren't. Why are we sailing? Because we know how and we can, you know, and we like to. And they were like, oh. And I, and I think that's the thing about the BBI is that, to me, it's very easy sailing compared to Lake Erie. I mean, there's always wind there. It's always good wind. And you have huge rollers that aren't even really waves out there. So it's very, very easy um, compared to Lake Erie, where there's always a challenge. I mean, there's, there's something always going on that you're really on top of it. I'd like to add that uh, I think my favorite is Anagata. It's oh, basically uh, a sandbar. Uh, with a hump. Yeah, with a, with a hump on it too, uh, uh, that you can see some trees. And eventually when you get closer, you begin to see buildings. But when you set out from Virgin Gorda, you don't see anything. You're heading out to, looks like heading out to sea. Yeah. And uh uh, it's a fun place to go, but what I like to do is go over there, and that's where we we call in a restaurant. And we order uh, uh, lobsters, and they come pick us up at the at the uh, dinghy dock, and in the back of a pickup truck, and we ride over to the restaurant, which is uh, on Cowreck Bay, and uh, it's called the Cowreck Restaurant, and uh, it's a great place to to eat. And we enjoy the the lobster. Oh, I want lobster. Yeah, that just sounds good. Mm -hmm. Well, mm -hmm. it, it, it's so fun because one of the last times we were there, as we're at the restaurant, the actual cow came up <laughs> to us <laughs> right at the restaurant. So it, it, it was quite interesting. Yeah. We're, we're sitting at the beach. Yeah, well, we're sitting. The restaurant is on the beach, and you just sit there on the sand. And I mean, if you want to get up, you can walk from here to probably about where that door is and you're in the water Ooh, and uh nice. it, it, yes it was nice and uh, as it started getting dusky uh, the a cow came wandering by uh sipping some fresh water out of a uh canoe i think it was canoe or yeah, uh, yeah that was lying there and probably it was rainwater sitting in that canoe but anyway it was almost within throwing distance cow's and probably happy moving. you're not having surf and turf that, yeah. that <laughs> i think so but but still we we enjoyed uh, the experience of of having the lobster sitting out on a beach and doing that but just to comment a little bit more on food and stuff uh we have to sort of plan our meals ahead of time if we're going to be there for a week we generally try to get a week's worth of food um, usually, uh, this amounts to we count on having breakfast of some form uh, 
almost every day of of the week if we're in a nice place uh, like jan was mentioning earlier uh, in limerick bay Soper's Hole. or Soper's hole we yeah. might go in for a breakfast take the dinghy and go in for a breakfast but uh we don't really count on that lunches is 50 50 uh we sometimes make sandwiches knowing that we're going to be out a little bit longer or we're going to detour and, and stop at the dogs and that's a set of islands that are rocks that stick out of the water and snorkel for a little while so we know we're going to be a little later coming in somewhere around one or two o'clock and uh and then uh evening meals like jan said earlier we kind of go sort of go 50 50 we try to go every other day we'll eat something we'll uh, it was a barbecue on the back of the uh, rail of the boat oh yeah and uh, so we, we will we'll barbecue some steaks one time we barbecued almost everything on the first night out so it pre- uh, lasts longer once it's cooked uh and then uh, every other night we'd pull something out of our uh cooler coolers and 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 heat it up and and eat when and the other half we'd made uh arrangements to go in and uh, go to a restaurant and, and have something to eat inside. So there's some nice restaurants and some of the, some of those islands. And then there are some that are not as, as nice and uh, we prefer to eat on the boat and, and watch people going by in their boats and looking for, and hooking up to the mooring balls and dinging by and going by with their dinghies and um, things like that. Are so those mooring balls first come, first serve, or can you reserve them? Uh, yes and no. You can reserve... Now, you didn't used to be able to reserve any. It was first come, first serve. But I think the last time we were there, they now have an app that you can reserve balls. And um, it's fairly important that you either reserve or get there very early because they do get taken up. Yeah, most of the time our sales, we'd start out in the morning and we'd want to be in by 2 o'clock, 3 at the extreme latest, because you might not find a ball. You what might do you have do that? to go anywhere. Um, you got to go to either well, another you might place. Have, yeah, because or you might of, have to anchor. Uh, well, if, a lot of if places allowed, won't of, let you anchor, though, because they're, um, the balls are there to protect the a environment. Yes, to yeah. what, what, if, what if you're going to anchor? How do you know if you're allowed to anchor in that spot? Well, if you're probably uh, near some place, uh, there's some dockage or something like that where you can go in and ask um, uh, and find out if if, you, if there's a mooring or if there's an anchorage available there. We also have charts. There's a nice little book I have here. It's kind of the Bible to there. This one is 2001-2002 Cruising Guide, Virgin Islands. Uh, two-thirds of the book is devoted to British Virgin Islands, and about a third of it is devoted to the American Virgin Islands. Uh, so far, we've only sailed in the British Virgin Islands because we feel it's a safer place to be. Uh, we've heard stories about boats being robbed and things like that in the American Virgin Islands. In the British Virgin Islands, we leave our boat open, jump in a dinghy, and go ashore and come back later on, a couple hours later Never after worry. having a... Yeah, and never worry about it. So um, that's the, that's the way it is there. And uh, uh, but like I said, the, the growing popularity, and I'm not sure they're putting more and more boring balls in. But uh, uh, it's expensive for the country to maintain them because if you look at the uh, hundreds of them they've got around, they probably have. Uh, 
uh, 50, 60 balls in a certain area, and, and then you go to another area, and there's that many again, and so they have to maintain them. And uh, they maintain them through hurricanes and bad weather and everything like that. They're, they're almost always there. There's very few that aren't available for use. This section of the podcast brought to you by the Acme Mooring Ball Corporation. <laughs> Yeah, we got to get some money from all these sponsors you keep mentioning. I think that's going to be your job. You could make like the commercials. All right. Yeah, I'll be like the voiceover that comes in and yeah. says, thank you for listening <laughs> to mm-hmm. Jibe Talking. Mm-hmm. Tell us, have you ever had a time sailing in the BVI that you thought, yeah, we shouldn't have gone out? No. So, so it's pretty stable then. Yes, and the winds are usually uh, almost constantly out of the northeast. Okay. So you can always count on that. We know that coming up on the south side of Tortola, you're going to be beating into the wind. You're going to have to be tacking and stuff to go northbound uh, or eastbound. Uh, and that's usually, we save that for the end of our trip. We kind of start off going a little bit northbound and then go around on the back side of the island which is which is the north side and and west side and then we're finally coming up on the east side so uh that's that's the way we do it How many and miles if you if you, you want to you know right. if you want to come with us sometime and and uh uh well, figure out to. what it what it's like uh you, you know, got, you we'll, we'll have my, to you let you know. my wife off the couch i'm afraid <laughs> uh, well i have to say um Sometimes when I've had her out, since she doesn't go out as much, um, probably it wouldn't have been a good time to have her out. So I think yeah. that maybe, like the last time was for the Buccaneer, and yeah. and um, it got a little a choppy coming back on the yeah. Buccaneer, and yeah. and she was right. not real happy with me. Um, so it never gets uh, that choppy out there. Okay. It, it never well, does. Well, I, I'll have, well, I have so. your wife convince her because she convinced my wife to drag yeah. her hand in the water all the time. <laughs> you know, we're, the boat's heeled over. We're in the Pacific Ocean. I don't really know oh. the area well. And I look mm-hmm. over and my wife's hanging off the side of the boat. I said, we're not that far. I can lean over. I can put it. I'm like, yeah, okay. All I could well, imagine was her going in and me having to turn the boat around and fish her out. <laughs> well, uh that's well and good but the boats we have we usually charter have four cabins three or four depending on the size of the boat uh we try to get them with with so that if we have three cabins we have three heads if we have four cabins we have four heads um uh, so that we're not sharing them because sometimes in the morning it gets urgent and you (laughs) nothing else you can do (laughs) but anyway um there is also on some of the very larger boats, the ones getting over 50 foot, where they have a cruise quarter. Though they don't charter it out for that. Um, generally, if we ask them, we can get uh, use of the cruise quarter, which is fairly primitive, and, and particularly if a single person comes along, they could use the cruise quarter. This section and, of the podcast brought to you by Charmin. <laughs> <laughs> what if they have a bidet, though? No, no, they're not on the boats. Not on the boats. They don't not have big them. enough. You're on okay. a boat. You're on a sailboat. That's, that's yeah. a whole different. That's a whole different show. Anyways, <laughs> yeah. Bidet, talk to the people. In boating podcast. <laughs> talk to the people who have the seventy footers that sail the mills race. Yeah. Maybe they have one. <laughs> 
Well, is there anything else you wanted to add about the British Virgin Islands we didn't cover? I know Hank's got some notes, and I didn't get do all the questions, but I just wanted to give you some ideas. Anything, if somebody's looking to go there, you say, this is what you need to do. I think if you're a sailor, um, it's a perfect vacation. It's just wonderful sailing. The people in the British Virgin Islands are very genuine, friendly. They love having us down there, so it's a very welcoming environment. And, um, you know, you have sailing, snorkeling, swimming, everything water-related down there. So it's just great. And all, all the people are very, very friendly. I okay. was looking up statistics here in this book. Yeah, go ahead. This book, what do you got? And it said that 75% of the people are black, and then like 5% uh, might be mixed. Some of them might be Spanish, 5%, 5% Americans, 5% uh, British, and so forth. So, But we have always found the people, regardless of who they are, to be very, very friendly and helpful. Okay. We enjoy talking with them, even the waiters and waitresses when we go to the restaurants. Uh, uh, you engage them in the conversation, they really open up with big smiles and things like that. They know that uh, uh, their business, according to this book, and this goes back almost 20 years, well, over 20 years now, um, that their business of tourism is is uh, about 50% of, of the business of the British Virgin that's Islands. That's so, a lot. Yeah. That's a lot. And I, I think it that is. speaks to why that the country is so uh, safe to go to. You know, because tourism does represent such a big portion of their income. They want to keep it safe to keep the tourists coming. So I know I asked one time when I was down, I had been able to go to Roatan, and which is off of Honduras, and I asked them about safety, and they said that, um, yeah, they the cops would land on it really hard because the cruise ships will just stop somewhere else. And they kind of said the same thing. It was like, if it's not safe, they're not coming here. Right. So... Well, thank you very much for coming, and um, thank you for having us. I guess we're done. Thank you, thank you, thank you. That was cool. You guys said some cool stuff. Oh, good. I appreciate that.